It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia. I've got great news today. We will not be creating any fake trades. No fake trades today because I know about you, Pete. Got a lot of backlash from a lot of angry Met fans with some of the trades I said yes to, some of the trades we put together. And I just want to remind everybody, it's entertainment, baby. We're not the general manager. I am not Billy Epler. You are not Steve Cohen, even though we wish you were because you'd spend a fortune. So let's all take a deep breath. None of those trades we mentioned is going to happen. Right, Pete? Nothing. That's right. This is like the WWE podcast. It's all just fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I think that fake trades are fun. I really do. I don't think we should spend that much time doing it on WFA because sometimes it gets crazy. But on a podcast, I thought it'd be fun. So trade week is over. Uh, none of those trades have happened as of yet. I did have one person call up Carton Roberts and say, Evan, I got a problem with you. And I said, what, what, what's up? And he's like, you want to trade Francisco Lindor for Giancarlo Stanton? <laughs> I said, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. A bunch of things we're going to discuss on today's podcast, including some of the news and notes over the last couple of days. Buck Showalter officially winning the National League Manager of the Year. We'll take a look at two of the Japanese Baseball players that may be jumping to Major League Baseball enough, they'll be worth the Mets going after. Um, and the latest on Jacob DeGrom and Brandon Nimmo. Actually, let's start there. The latest on the rumors around DeGrom and Nimmo. So here's the the thing I've noticed over the last few days. Obviously, nothing's happened. Edwin Diaz re-signed right out of, right out of the start of this offseason. Nothing substantial has happened around the major free agents. It seems with Nimmo, every day or two, there's a new team that's interested. We heard the Seattle Mariners over the last few days. We heard the Toronto Blue Jays over the last few days. The Rockies were a team we had heard a while ago, but it's not going anywhere. And the fact that Scott Boris is his agent makes me think that the Nimmo sweepstakes is actually going to last a really long time. I also think that Brandon Nimmo would be smart, and Boris is a smart guy, to let Aaron Judge sign first that you would let Aaron Judge kind of set the market for outfielders. So I'm under the expectation with Nemo, it's going to be a long process. I've even started to think that if they lose him, and, and I don't know if they're going to lose him. I'm kind of 50-50 on the Brandon Nemo thing. I'm sure they've got a number in mind, an amount of years in mind. And if the Seattle Mariners go nuts, they may let Brandon Nemo go. If the price is right, I think Brandon Nemo's back. But I am starting to believe that they would replace Nemo internally. That we would see a lot of Starling Marte in center field, a little bit of Mark Canna in center field. And it kind of goes to something that happened this week that's a minor story, but I'm intrigued by. Uh, obviously, every team needed to get their 40-man roster in order. They needed to add certain guys to their 40-man to shield them from being in the Rule 5 draft. And there's a guy in the Met farm system who I expected – to be protected. I expected to be added to the 40-man roster so that they would not lose him in the Rule 5 draft. And that's Jake Mangum, who is a switch-hitting outfielder. And really, all I know about him from what I've read over the last few years and going to baseball reference is that he's not a great hitter. Though his numbers last year weren't terrible at double-A and I think at single-A as well. But he's a really, really good defensive center fielder. 
And if the Mets are going to lose Brandon Nimmo, if that is something that may be our fate, then if they're going to replace him internally, not that Mangum would be the guy to do it, but he would have a lot of value on this roster as a late-inning defensive replacement because I think if Marte turns out to be the most-of-the-time center fielder, to A, keep him healthy, uh, to B, keep him fresh, I think you'd probably want to see a late-inning defensive replacement, and whether that means Starling Marte moving to right field or Marte just sitting the last couple of innings, it would actually make sense to have almost a caddy late in games. Um, but Mangum could be picked up. I mean, he's going to be in this real five draft, and I guess he's older for a prospect. He's 26, 27 years old. Um, I don't think there's a high regard that he's necessarily going to be an everyday player at the major league level down the road, but he certainly has a value to this team if they lost Brandon Nimmo. Now, if they keep Brandon Nimmo and, you know, fingers crossed he stays healthy for the full season, you know, there's less of a chance than, in my opinion, that Mangum would have a role on this roster. But I was a little surprised that he wasn't added because I do get the sense that if they lost Brandon, they would try to do this internally. And I give you a few examples of how they could do it. Sort of similar to something we talked about during the regular season when Marte was out. We talked about, hey, how do you replace Starling Marte? And I don't mean Tyler Naquin. Brett Beatty is going to have, I think, a big role on this team next year. He's going to get an opportunity, I think, to be, I don't want to say the everyday third baseman because obviously Escobar finished the season strong, but the Mets have a lot of versatility. So I'll walk you through how at least I could hypothetically see this working if they lost Nemo, and that's not an endorsement that I want them to lose Brandon Nemo. It's just, hey, if they lose Brandon Nemo, what are they going to do? Brett Beatty plays a lot of third base. Eduardo Escobar, while he didn't do it last year, has a lot of experience playing second base, as does Luis Guillermo. We know how valuable he is defensively. That pushes Jeff McNeil into the outfield and pushes McNeil into a role in which he's maybe playing a lot more outfield than he has last year, hence Starling Marte in center field. Um. I think that's an easier way to kind of replace Brandon Nimmo. It's not ideal because I think you lose a little bit defensively in the outfield. You may actually gain a little bit defensively in the infield because maybe it means more of Luis Guillerme, but it also means a lot more of Brett Beatty at third base. You're not gaining a lot defensively. But if you're looking at an outfield of Canna, Marte, and McNeil, it's not ideal. I mean, but that's where a guy like Mangum would have had some value. Now, I don't necessarily think Mangum is definitely going to be picked up in the Rule 5 draft, but the fact they've left him unprotected is a little bit surprising. Uh, But really, the latest on Nemo is, yeah, there seems to be a lot of teams interested. The DeGrom thing is different. And I don't want to build anyone's hope up because I've sort of been on the negative side of, of, are we going to keep Jacob DeGrom? Not because of Jake but because I'm worried the Mets have a number in mind, an amount of years in mind, and they may hardline it, that they may not go as far as I'd be willing to go or Pete would be willing to go. But what's interesting about the DeGrom rumors, and granted, they're just rumors, we have to accept that, everything can change immediately, is you have Ken Rosenthal say recently, I'd be stunned if the Braves bid on Jacob DeGrom. And let's just use our brain for a second. We know how much Atlanta has spent internally on keeping some of their players. We've discussed it. We know that Max Freed is a free agent at the end of next year. That's their guy, a relatively young lefty who's now been a part of a championship team. I assume 
even though they haven't been able to do it as early as they have with some of their other guys, they're going to want to keep Max Fried. He's going to get paid. Max Fried's going to get a lot of money. In fact, based on what pitchers are being paid, I think he gets $30 million a year. Is that crazy? I don't think it is. So knowing they're going to have to pay Freed, knowing who they're already paying now, I always wondered, can they really offer DeGrom $40-plus million a year? And if they did, are they going to try to do it on a short-term deal? If it's a short-term deal, I would have more confidence in the Mets saying, hey, we're we're up for a short-term deal. So Atlanta, I've always been skeptical about. I know we fear Atlanta. And so naturally, as a Met fan, you always kind of maybe make the thing you're scared about more of a threat than it actually is, if that makes any sense. But Rosenthal said that about the Braves. And I know Ken Rosenthal isn't perfect. He's not the gospel. But using that report plus the logic that you may have about Atlanta, you say, oh, okay, maybe the Braves aren't a threat for Jacob DeGrom. The only other team you've really heard about is Texas. And now you got to look at Texas and say, okay, well, Martin Perez is back and he's making a, a decent amount of money. If I'm not mistaken, fact check me on this. He accepted the qualifying offer. So he's making $19 million a year. They made the trade for Jake Odorizzi. Not that Jake Odorizzi's any good. He sucks. We all know that. And so you wonder, are they going to spend $40 million a year on Jacob DeGrom? Are they going to look at their pitching and say, hey, maybe we're better off spending less, but maybe adding two guys? Or maybe we do buy a pitcher for less and add elsewhere? So I don't know what Texas is going to offer him. So then you say, all right, well, what about the L.A. Dodgers? The Dodgers just lost Tyler Anderson. We know they're a big market team. They did just keep Clayton Kershaw. And there are injury concerns around Clayton Kershaw. There are injury concerns around Tony Gonsolin, who missed a bunch of time at the end of the season. Obviously, Walker Buehler, you have to forget about. Are the Dodgers, as big of a market team as they are, and they're still paying Trevor Bauer, are they going to be willing to take the risk around Jake? The, the other team I've always wondered about would be the San Francisco Giants. And I wonder about them because they've made it clear they want to spend this offseason. Aaron Judge is going to be their priority. They may not get Aaron Judge. I mean, I, I would say it's 50-50. I don't know what Judge is going to do. And even though this isn't a Yankee podcast, let's be honest, the Judge decision impacts us in a lot of ways because of what I said about Nimmo and because of, hey, did the Giants say, oh, we missed that on Judge? Let's go pay Jacob DeGrom. Here's all I know, though, Hoff. I haven't heard yet a team making an offer to Jacob DeGrom. And so is it possible that his market is not going to develop the way maybe he thought it was going to develop? Well, I mean, it's it's a heavy load to bear to spend that much money on DeGrom. It's the same thing with Judge, too. Like, and this is something, and again, not to make this about the Yankees, but Steinbrenner supposedly talked to all the GMs and said, listen, I'm going to outbid all of you guys for Judge, so don't even bother which is twofold. I, I look at it as someone who's kind of saying, don't waste your time because I'm going to get him regardless, but also back down because I don't want to overspend. Like, and I'm not trying to say it's collusion at all, but I think other GMs, other GMs and owners know, like, hey, we want to keep the value down of these players. So if we're really not in on it, What's the point of trying to outbid other people if we're really not realistically going to be able to put $40 million up? 
Why do that to ourselves, to our other owners? It's I, I do think there's a little bit of – I'm not trying to go over the top and say there's a little collusion, but I feel like there kind of could be. That being said, that being said, I think DeGrom – Kershaw was a tell. How much did he make? 24? Did he make about 20 million, right? He got for one year? Yeah, I think he signed a one-year deal to stay in Los Angeles, and I think it was in the high 20s. I'll double-check exactly what he got. Okay. Kershaw making $20 million, obviously a little bit older. Not even really. I think they're about the same age, but more more wear tear on the arm. $20 million for still when he plays and pitches is dominant. I mean, that's relevant to the ground. Yeah, no? he actually, by the way, he got less according to, uh, this is from about nine hours ago, DodgerBlue.com, that it's estimated to be worth between 17 and $20 million, which is nothing. I mean, it's basically, I don't want to say it's nothing. It's the qualifying offer. Um, right. Kershaw's had an injury history the last couple of years too, granted, and maybe there was a quote-unquote hometown discount because he wanted to stay in Los Angeles. I I wonder because if DeGrom was a free agent from another team, okay, Jacob DeGrom had the exact same resume, but he did it with another team, how we would view him. If we would look at it and say, I, I don't know, man, guy hasn't been healthy for a couple of years. I've admitted this. We look at DeGrom differently. He's our guy. And I'd rather fail with our guy than let him go and risk him being great somewhere else. I've made that very clear. And so maybe, and maybe I'm being more hopeful than anything, that teams are going to look at Jake and say, yeah, he's great, but I'm not willing to take that risk. And I think that the Mets should be more willing to take it. So maybe there won't be this robust market for Jacob DeGrom because of the same reason why some of us Met fans, not me, have said, oh, I don't, you know, let Jacob. Because he's barely pitched the last few years. We're not the only ones that notice that. Other teams do. So what that could lead to, and by the way, I'd sign for this immediately, is DeGrom basically getting a monster one-year contract or you know, maybe a, a Scherzer kind of deal or a Cespedes kind of deal where it's a three-year, $118 million deal with an opt-out after the first year. So DeGrom could go out, win the Cy Young, opt-out and say, okay, guys, now look at my market. I'm starting to think that he may not be able to get the four-year contract he may desire. And look, I'm okay with short term. I really am. I mean, it's it's fine. If you want to pay him on a year-to-year basis and basically say, go out and prove you're healthy, I'll deal with the stress of potentially losing him every single season if it means you get him back on a short-term deal. And here's the thing. So, like, I'm looking at the payrolls right now, right? The Mets have a 32-man roster. they got to fill 40, right? They're at 184 right now and change corner spoke track. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but you let me know. Well, it's not accurate because it doesn't include a lot of the arbitration salaries. Okay. So, that's why when we look at these payrolls and they're a lot lower, it's because it's not including that. There's a lot of guys who are going to get raises. So the Met payroll is going to be oh, it's going to be very high. Right. <laughs> but 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 here's here's my point though is if you want to go that short-term route of say $45 million per year, three-year deal with an opt-out after year 1, 45 even added to a 225 payroll, you're you're hovering around the 275 mark. Last year's payroll was 313. And again, I want to refer to the fact that they, the Edwin Diaz contract, they made sure it was done by 2022, and they made sure that the mo- some of the money got deferred to the 2022 
payroll. Specifically, I know that Puma said maybe they're not going to go as uh, punch drunk crazy with the money. To me, I go the opposite way, going like they have more money to spend this year. No? Well, and also keep this in mind with DeGrom. He already made 32 and a half, 33 last year. So if you're paying him 42, you're just adding $9 million to what you were spending last year. But but here's the other thing to keep in mind with DeGrom. And we always talked about, well, how do you replace him? Uh, one of the factors here, and it's not the case with Verlander, it's the case with Rodone, is that because he turned down the qualifying offer, and, and I'm not saying this is the end-all, be-all, but we should be aware of this. If the Mets lost to Grom and they replace him by signing Carlos Rodon, they're going to have to give up a second round pick, a fifth round pick, and I think a million dollars in international money. It, it's not the end all be all. That's not going to keep me from signing Trey Turner, but it's just another reason why it benefits the Mets to just keep Jacob DeGrom as opposed to losing him and then trying to replace him. But I, look, I'm not brimming with confidence. But I would say any rumor and news over the last few days hasn't been bad. You know, nothing's come out that makes you say, oh, wow, we're really going to lose him. No, Basically, no news. well, but but the, the news, if it's anything, is Atlanta's likely not to bid on him. And basically, ah, Texas may go in a different direction. So you start to say, OK, well, where are these offers coming from? What I'd love to know, what is the I assume the Mets made an offer to DeGrom. Why wouldn't you? I mean, you may as well make an offer. Should have. What would the offer be? Because they look at him and say, okay, you opt out. Is it two years, $80 million? Like, okay, we'll get you 40. It's not quite max money, but we're almost there. Two years, $80 million. We're giving you a big raise. We're giving you a two-year deal. Is that what they offered? I have no idea. It hasn't been reported anywhere. I've always said at the end of the day, I'd give them the four years, 180, but it may not come to that. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it.